Welcome to the pilot episode of Medill Report's audio show. I'm Shane Monahan. I'm Ariane Nettles. We've got a good show for you this week. Ariane, what do we have on tap? Well, the Medill Report staff covers everything from politics and social issues to business, the environment, and sports and entertainment around Chicago. There's about 30 of us in the newsroom, and this week we report on everything from Derrick Rose's return to the Bulls and climate change to McDonald's breakfast field earnings report. One of our top stories was President Obama's visit to the International Association of Chiefs of Police. That was a mouthful. We'll hear from some Medill reporters about that later, but first, Haiti Clotter takes downtown where demonstrators were trying to raise awareness about police brutality. Police terror was the subject of a rally in downtown Chicago this week. Several dozen protesters held signs depicting victims of police brutality while chanting. The demonstration brought the question, what side are you on? It's just crazy to me, like, it could be anyone at any point. There's no amount of respectability you could have. There's no amount of success you can achieve. If someone sees your face and you happen to be a black person in America, you could easily be a target. That was Artisa Grant, one of the protesters. Another demonstrator, Chandra Lehman, said he's been racially profiled because he's African-American and has dreadlocks. He remembers his experience when he was stopped by the police. They jumped me and then they was like, we don't want to see you around this neighborhood again, all that stuff, calling me the N-word, all, like, what did I do? With stories like Sandra Bland, Aaron Garner, and Michael Brown receiving national attention in recent years, Chicago has its own problems. The Chicago Police Department has dealt with issues of police brutality, torture, and coerced confessions, and community activists like T.O. Hardeman say they've had enough. 75% to 80% of all homicides in Chicago occur in the African-American community, and almost 90% of all police-involved shootings take place in the African-American community. And uh, Superintendent McCarthy, he brought all these East Coast strategies to Chicago. They're not working here at all. Although the protest was peaceful, the emotions were strong. For those victims who weren't physically present, Their voices were still heard through the protesters who remembered them. This person that's younger than I am is dead. That means he doesn't get to come down here with us. That was Jay. He preferred we only use his first name. He said he's demonstrating to keep the memory of those victims alive. He doesn't get to eat. He doesn't get to be with his family. But you know what? I'm doing this for him and I'm doing this for everyone else. After protesting in Chicago, family members and protesters marched for justice in New York City and have plans to take their protests to 25 other cities across the country. In downtown Chicago, this is Haiti Clotter from Adir Reports. Police chiefs from around the country also gathered in Chicago this week to discuss many of the same issues. President Obama addressed the ongoing issue of how police and communities interact. Ariane spoke to three of our reporters who covered the event. I'm Steve Musel. I'm a political reporter for the Medill News Service, and I'm from Santa Cruz, California. Hi, I'm Jasmine Sen. I'm from China. I'm a video reporter. Hey, guys. My name is Emiliana Molina. I'm from Medellin, Colombia, and I'm a business and video reporter for Medill Reports. Uh, at this point, one way or another, people know who I am. So you guys covered a really cool event this week with President Obama. Can you please tell me a little bit about what that event was about and what was its purpose? Basically, Obama was giving a speech on gun violence and recent events that have been escalating with police brutality in the communities. A lot of videos we know have gone viral. The attendees at the conference are 
police leaders and law enforcement executives from around the world. So he was definitely speaking to his audience. He laid out three goals that he's got. The first one being getting more training, proper training and equipment to law enforcement officers. The second was criminal justice system reform, to have a more fair criminal justice system. Finally, he talked about common sense gun control measures. But we can't expect you to contain and control problems that the rest of us aren't willing to face or do anything about. Problems ranging from substandard education to a shortage of jobs and opportunity, an absence of drug treatment programs, and laws that resulted in being easier in too many neighborhoods for a young person to purchase a gun than a book. Um, one of his last measures, which was, I think, what people are a little bit more skeptic about, is he believes that, you know, there's some people that are incarcerated that don't really belong there. Um, while obviously there is some people that are in jail that have committed crimes that are worthy of staying in jail, maybe, you know, for a life sentence. But we are spending $80 billion annually on keeping people in prisons. And what was the audience's response to? what he was saying. So um, from my Man on the Street interview, um, people show support to um, put background check as one of the mandatory in the tougher gun laws. And they agree with um, President Obama that um, the law enforcement actually do need to regain their trust in the local community. Progress comes together when we work together. And we work together best when we're willing to understand one another. One of the things that everyone seemed to agree on, both in the president's speech and in the two-hour panel before it with the president of the NAACP, Cornell Brooks, was the issue of building community, building relationships between police officers and the, the communities they serve. And that was something that everyone, no matter how much they disagreed on everything else, seemed to be on the same page about this is a thing that needs to happen. Thank you so much, guys. Thank you for your insight and for letting us know, kind of placing us in that room. We really appreciate it. And to see the text and videos from Steve, Emiliana, and Jasmine's coverage, make sure you log on to modillereports.org. Thanks, guys. Over at the Chicago Public Schools headquarters, activists, parents, educators, and public officials debated the role of charter schools, especially in areas where public schools are struggling. Education reporter Kellen Lyons has more. Charter school expansion is a divisive topic in national conversations about urban education, especially in Chicago. And Wednesday's Chicago Board of Education meeting exemplified the deep divide that charters can cause in communities. For too long, charter schools have been portrayed as the villains, when in fact they are the heroes of the community. That's Lori Fink, a teacher from Chicago International Charter Schools Prairie, a school in Chicago's Roseland neighborhood. She says this waiting list at her school has doubled as parents want higher quality choices of education for their children. The need and desire for school choice is very apparent. But some are concerned because of CPS's student-based budgeting, which gives money to schools based on the number of students that they educate. Jenny Biggs from Illinois Raise Your Hand, an educational advocacy group, is one of those people. And we believe that a strong public school system is at the heart of a thriving city. For Jelani McEwen, a resident from the South Side, the dwindling enrollment of neighborhood schools isn't the fault of charter schools. 
Enrollment is not based upon the seats, right? It follows the quality. Patrick Brosden, the executive director of the Brighton Park Neighborhood Council, says charters can potentially take more than just funding away from the neighborhood schools. The way CPS funds schools means that when they lose enrollment, the educational quality goes down. Uh, schools lose programs, services, teachers, counselors, sports, all of the things that make a school a school. Michael Layton, parent in Brighton Park, said his daughter's future relies on Kelly High School. But more than anything, he pleaded with the board to recognize who's really affected as a result of their votes. It's about the children. I mean, come on. I mean, organize. It's about the children. It's not the money. It's not politics. It's the children. The board voted unanimously to approve both KIPP and the new Noble High School. Students will be able to take classes at each school next fall. For Medill, I'm Callan Lyons. In the business world, it's earnings season, and public companies across the U.S. are letting the world know how they fared this summer and what they expect for the end of the year. Some companies, like Chinese company Alibaba, had good news to share. The tech giant shrugged off a shaky Chinese economy and did better than expected. Others, like Xerox, fell short. It reported its first quarterly loss in five years. Traditional copier and printing machine sales were low. And in the tech world, Twitter brought in more revenue than expected. But for the social media innovator that's recently struggled to make money, that may not be good enough. Ariane Nettles has more. Quarterly earnings reports generally start like this. Thank you and good afternoon, everyone. Welcome to today's conference call. Joining but Twitter decided to shake things up this week by holding its third quarter earnings call on Periscope, its live stream platform. It's Jack Dorsey's first earnings call after returning to the company he founded in 2006 as permanent CEO again. He sees Periscope as an innovative way to reach more people. Um, how are we giving creators more tools to be more creative and to express themselves in a different way and giving uh, the folks on Periscope even more reach uh, in order to share what's happening around them in a very interesting and, and unique way, which is, which is live streaming. Periscope is just six months old, and the company's other video platform, Vine, just turned three. But despite these new products, analysts on Wall Street don't see any growth in the cards for Twitter, which has been around for almost a decade. The number of monthly active users only grew 2% since the previous quarter, and to many analysts, active users equal revenue. Rick Summer of Morningstar says it's unlikely that Twitter will become a mass market social platform. But Twitter thinks it will get bigger and better. Its execs say that it's growing and reaching more people every day, even if they don't have a Twitter account. People interact with Twitter through embedded tweets and news stories and just by visiting Twitter's website. Dorsey says its logged out audience shouldn't be discounted because they still see ads. And ad revenue is what Twitter did a great job at improving. It was $447 million, up 42% from the year before. Together with our logged out audience of over 500 million people, which is still growing sequentially, that's over 800 million people who use Twitter-owned and operated properties every single month. And that doesn't include the over 1 billion unique visits monthly to websites with embedded tweets. Twitter's stock closed Wednesday at $30.87, down 1.5%. For Medill, I'm Ariane Nettles. Those were just a few of the stories published to medillreports.org this week, so check back to the site for more.
You can check us out on Twitter at Medill Chicago and on Facebook and Instagram at Medill Reports. You can listen to future episodes of the audio show by subscribing to iTunes, Stitcher, or finding us on SoundCloud. Stories this week were produced by Haiti Clotter, Kellen Lyons, Steve Musel, and Arianne Nettles. Special thanks to Jasmine Sen and Emiliana Molina for contributing to today's show. Thanks to Shane for producing the show. Arianne wrote the show. The music featured in today's show was from street performers at the Jackson Street Red and Blue Line stations. The bluesy bits were from the band Chicago Traffic Jam. You can check them out at the Randolph and Wabash station most afternoons. The solo guitar after the Black Lives Matters piece is an artist by the name of Iggy Flo. And the music you are hearing now is from Bear Creek Paddlers. They are a group of fellows from Durham, North Carolina that play at the Jackson Street Red Line most afternoons. Thanks for listening. Make sure to check out all of our stories on MedillReports.org and be on the lookout for our next show. Mm-hmm.